0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to take a minute to and pay tribute to Father Richard. Um, Amazing man. One of my favorite men... Well, let me say that he had a vice-grip mind. He'd latch onto something and would never let it go, and that carried him really well when we got to Orthodox theology. Right after Campus Crusade, uh, when... We had labored together there for almost a decade, and he was in Atlanta, had, had left the staff, and I was up in Chicago, and I remember one night they didn't have an, a stove. and I, had, I bought a house that came with two stoves, I didn't need two stoves. I could burn things with one stove. So uh, one night, Greg and I started out, who's our oldest son. he was probably mm, maybe 10, 12 um, we drove all night. I had an old white station wagon, loaded that stove in there, and drove all night from Chicago to Atlanta. And they used that stove for many years. And that was a wonderful trip. Right before I left, I'd been offered a job. And it was another parachurch organization, Christian La- a Laity of Chicago, and a dear friend ran- was, the, was the founder of it. And he offered me 1000 bucks a month benefits and a brand-new Buick. And I love Buicks, and I, I just, I thought, what a, you know, so I got down there, and Father Richard said, wait a minute, we're not called to the parachurch, we're called to the church. Ekklesia, that is the Greek word. It means the called out ones, not called in, called out. And he he, he did that the whole time, not called in, called out, and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take his advice. He said, if you go parachurch, we'll never go church. And he was right. And... um Then when we turned the corner toward orthodoxy, that first time we were together off the the coast of Seattle on an island, somebody had access to an unheated cabin. Woo, it was bad. And uh, seven of us guys and only two beds in the place. So Father Jack and I got the beds because we had the bad backs. And uh, Father Richard said, what I want to find is, is there a doctrinal fence outside of which you cannot jump and still claim to be a Christian. And we had kidded him about being president of the Doctrine of the Month Club because every time we got together, he was on a new theme, and they were good themes. One of them was the kingdom, one of the last ones, but the grace of God was one, the mercy of God, and uh, he'd always just, and then one time it was the Great Commission, he saw the Great Commission in every verse of the scripture. And... uh, He found that doctrinal fence between that meeting and the next meeting three months later. And of course it was the Nicene Creed, the most universal statement of faith in all of Christendom. And he taught us the creed line by line. And he nailed it. In fact, he had typed out all his notes, I've still got a copy of it on this old upright typewriter, quoting all of the fathers that spoke to to this creed. Magnificent piece of work. And someone mailed that to Father Schmemann. And, and he said, Father Schmemann said, every syllable of that is orthodox. And that was a good 10 years before we came into the church. He had a, a mind that was gifted to absorb theology, even though he never had a day of seminary. He majored in Greek at the University of Texas, so he knew the Greek well. But he had this magnificent mind. And I can remember listening to him and saying, I would have never come up with that. And I said to him one day, if you teach it to me, I can communicate it, but I can't get it on my own. And that was the gift that he was to us, to, to discover for us the depths of Orthodox theology and then be able to teach it to us. And so I thank God for him and for the friendship that we've had over the years. And uh, as Father uh, Nicholas said, the funeral and, and the services were magnificent, and I was so proud of the Blue family. Now, there's that always that delicate balance of, between sorrow and joy, and they walked down the middle of the street on that, and uh, Sylvia and the children, the grandchildren, uh, had some good talks with a few of the grandkids, and it just it was an amazing time, so you know we just we thank God for his life and uh, look forward to a reunion one of these days. Well, today is the uh, genealogy of Christ, and uh, that's a hard thing to decide what to preach on. I mean, some of those names you can hardly even pronounce. Um, but what I decided to do is take three of them and just talk about these three people. And of course, you know, the, the, the genealogy, you've got everybody from deceivers and a harlot and you know, people that were totally unfaithful all the way over to just saints. And I want to take an unbelieving Gentile who was converted. I want to take a man who God loved with all of his heart, who finked out and came back. And then finally, I want to take one of the few saints in the list, uh, King Josiah, and talk about them and what we can learn from them. The first one is Ruth, dear Ruth. Ruth uh, lived in Moab, which is a country uh, just to the east of the Dead Sea. And the Moabites and the Israelites were were bitter enemies. And uh, there was a couple that lived in uh, Bethlehem, there in Israel. Uh, Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. And a great famine broke out in Israel. And so they, probably against God's will, because you're supposed to stay with the people of God, but... He hightailed it to Moab, where there was food and and provision. And so he took his wife Naomi and their their two sons, and they moved to Moab. And they were there about a decade. And during that time, uh, Elimelech died, the the husband. So Naomi was left a widow. And also, while they were in Moab, uh, her two sons married uh, uh, women from Moab. And one of them was Ruth, who was a basically a, a non-believing Gentile. And then both the sons died. So Naomi thought it was time to go back to Bethlehem and reestablish her life there. And uh, Naomi wanted to go with her. And I'm sorry, Ruth wanted to go with Naomi, her mother-in-law. And Naomi did her best to talk her out of it. And the fathers teach us... It wasn't that she didn't want her. She just wanted to test her to make sure she meant it. And, of course, this, one of my favorite verses in, the, in all the Old Testament is Ruth 1.16. Um, Ruth said, Do not ask me to leave you or turn back from following you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. In other words, Ruth wanted to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so she went with her mother. And two things are are a blessing to me out of that. Number one, that's the inscription that Marilyn put (coughs) on my ring. Almost 50 years ago. And honey, you've lived it. I remember as a young Christian studying that verse and, and saying, I get all of it except the stuff on the people. Wherever you go, I will go. That's clear. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And, uh, but your people will be my people. And your God, my God. I understood that. But what's the people part? And of course, that was back in the days when, as evangelicals, all, all we needed was Jesus. And, uh, you know, never mind the Father and the Holy Spirit, we knew they existed. But the catchphrase was, all you need is Christ. And that isn't what Jesus taught. You know, for openers, we also need the church. We need the people. And in coming to orthodoxy, I obviously understand that it, it isn't just me and God, but it's me, God, and the people. And what a lesson. Ruth, a Gentile, was willing to embrace the Jews as her own people. And, beloved, that's part of what conversion is. It isn't just coming to believe in Christ, but it's also coming to be knit together with the lives of your fellow believers. In other words, for us, the church. And uh, we are community. And I just, you know, this is a really good church. But I just want to underscore this, that don't let the devil drive a wedge between you and some of your brothers and sisters, because he will do that. As Bishop Antoon says, the devil never sleeps. And um, it's it's so important that we keep that love of God for each other, as well as for him. And Ruth discovered that being a believer is both following the right God, and also being part of his holy people. And, of course, she goes on to be not only a uh, an ancestor of Christ, she's the great-grandmother of King David, who we're going to consider next. So anyway, she goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi and um, meets a man named Boaz. And Boaz is in the genealogy, too. As a matter of fact, his mom didn't set the world on fire morally before she met God Rahab and she made her living as a harlot and she's the one that hid the two spies when they went in to spy out the land as we read in the book of Joshua and Boaz who's a a relative of Naomi's departed husband ends up marrying Ruth and he's called a kinsman redeemer he is a a relative of Naomi's husband, and also saved or redeemed Ruth. It's a marvelous story. The notes in the study Bible, by the way, are magnificent, and I would encourage maybe you kids to get your mom or dad to read you the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. It's very short, which is what kids like. Isn't that right? Kids like short books in the Bible. (laughs) uh, And so Ruth prefigures that the Gentiles will be part of the church. And uh, comes to have great faith and uh, Ruth, the, the reason I chose Ruth is Father Richard Ruth was loyal, she is an icon of loyalty when Father Kevin Shearer who runs OCF heard that Father Richard died he called me he said I have never met a more loyal man in my entire life and I think those of you that know him would, would amen that just remarkably loyal Ruth was remarkably loyal the second person that we read about is uh, in the book of, uh, of First and Second Kingdoms, and this of course is King David. And uh, King David's life is always a favorite, especially with kids, because he's the guy that slew the giant. Remember the big Philistine giant named Goliath. And Goliath was about nine feet tall, and he'd, done, he'd have done well in the NBA, <laughs> wouldn't he? Uh, And David was just a young shepherd boy and he picked up five stones and a sling and by the way trash talk isn't new they talked trash to each other before they fought and uh, Goliath ran down David and his people and David returned the favor and ran him and his people down the Philistines and uh, and anyway he prevailed in the battle and uh, Goliath was killed so so David was kind of a, a hero and people loved him, and their saying was, you know, Saul has killed thousands, David has killed ten thousands. And uh, so he was mighty in battle. And he became king over, uh, over Israel, and brought incredible unity. In fact, the city of Jerusalem is called the city of David. And... Uh, David was given a promise by God and I want to read it to you this is second kingdoms which in the Masoretic text is second Samuel chapter 7 just a few verses and uh, this is a prophecy that the Lord gave to Nathan who was the prophet uh, that served David and it shall come about when your days are fulfilled uh, and you rest with your fathers and of course that's spoken to David through Nathaniel, through Nathan I will raise up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will prepare his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever. I will be a father to him and he shall be to me a son. And if he commits iniquity, which he did, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but I will not take my mercy from him. Now you know why... Psalm 50 is, Have mercy on me. That's all he had to appeal to. Because under the old covenant, there was no provision for intentional sin. And uh, if he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men, but I will not take my mercy from him, as I took it from those whom I with- from whom I withdrew my presence. And his house shall be made sure, and his kingdom shall be forever and it says Nathan told David each of these words and all of his vision and of course you know at the height of his success as, as king he dispatches his troops the scriptures say it was the time when kings went to war and instead of going and leading them he's, he hung out at home and the troops went out and of course one night he gets up and goes out on the roof and sees this beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. And she was the wife of a, a godly man, Uriah the Hittite. And he lusts for her and sins to her and ends up getting her pregnant. And uh, it, it's like the sin cascades on him. First of all, he stays home. He's got, he's got time on his hands. Nothing better to do. Be careful when you're in that position, by the way. And then he sends for her, he commits adultery, she gets pregnant, they have a baby, and the Lord takes the baby. And David in that famous verse says, he will not come to me, but I will go to him. Which shows that even in his sin, he still had the vision of the resurrection. And he sandbags this thing for a year, He, he has Uriah killed in battle. And finally, Nathan the prophet, dear Nathan, comes back to him again. And by the way, next time you need a proof text on why Orthodox believers confess to God through their priest, Nathan's the guy. David confessed to Nathan. He confessed his sins to God through the prophet Nathan. And of course, the the result of that was the writing of Psalm 50, which is the greatest psalm on forgiveness that uh, the man ever wrote in fact let me just let me say two things number one if you're in a situation where you sense things are going south in a hurry snap that get out of that I remember saying to my own kids you know if you're ever out at night and things go bad call me if you don't want to talk about it we won't but get out of there and that's what David failed to do And the thing just, it it just brought him down. Then the other thing is just the tremendous forgiveness that God offers to us and to David. Um, David prayed, turn your face from my sins and blot out all of my transgressions. And then this wonderful promise, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your guiding spirit. You know, sometimes we just kind of grind it out being a Christian. Remember this passage when you're there. Ask God to renew the joy. Uh, there, was, there was joy at that funeral this week. Permeating the sorrow, there was joy. And God wants us to experience the joy of his salvation, not just, not just grinding it out day to day. And, of course, David is, becomes then for us the icon of, uh, of repentance. He turned from his sin. And uh, he did suffer those blows from men all the rest of his life, but God never took his mercy from David. And, of course, he is, he is the one whose kingdom is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ the king of the Jews the king of kings and then finally let's talk for for a moment about Josiah he's probably the least known of all of these people and um, uh, there we turn to the book of fourth kingdoms Josiah is king of judah right about the time they go into exile in babylon and it says josiah was eight years old when he became king and he ruled for 31 years in jerusalem and he was killed in battle at age 39 his mother's name was jedidiah the daughter of adai i should have had you pronounce these, father john <laughs> and it's here, here's the passage i want and he did what was right in the eyes of the lord and walked in the ways of his father David he did not turn to the right or to the left in other words bingo he started well and he ended well and he became king as as the text says at at age 8 and kids that's a remarkable uh, present for you you don't have to wait to grow up to serve God you can begin serving him right now sometimes I think You know, well, we'll get through high school, get through college, get married, get a job, and then I'll go back to church. Don't do that. So many do that. Be faithful now as you're six or eight or ten. And, uh, you know, you can touch other lives. You don't need to know, you know, tons of theology like Father Richard was gifted to do. You do need to know God. You need to love him. But let your light shine with your friends. I remember when, when Wendy was uh, in high school, she befriended a girl that actually was not very well liked. And she was a girl that uh, kind of was hard to be around. But because of Wendy's faithfulness, this, this gal became a believer. And uh, it, was, it was thrilling to see. So don't wait till you grow up, be like King Josiah. Start well, he started out young, and he, he ended well. Um, during his reign three major things happened number one the book of the law had been lost and they found it in the temple and he called together it says the elders and the people and read to them the the holy scriptures and of course we believe that as orthodox Christians in the church it's not just the clergy not just the elders that need to know the faith need to know the scriptures all of us do And so King Josiah called together the clergy and the laity to hear the scriptures read. Secondly, he went into the temple and cleaned out all of the garbage that was in there for the worshippers of Baal. They had brought this this junk in and voodoo type stuff. And, And Josiah cleaned house. No more mix and match, you know, part truth and part error. He cleaned the error out of there. And a man of great courage. And then thirdly, he restored the keeping of the Passover. In other words, he got the Old Testament church calendar back, if you will. And this incredible feast day, which prefigures our Pascha, our Resurrection Day, Easter. He gained it back in Israel. And so Josiah, beside being king of Judah he also becomes the icon of true worship. Cleaned out the garbage and established the reading of the scriptures for the faithful and the the keeping of of the feast, the Passover feast. So as we anticipate the birth of the eternal Son of God in the flesh on Christmas Day, let us give thanks for these three people which really kind of encompasses all of humanity, doesn't it? First you've got to a lady who's just an unbelieving Gentile. And God loves her enough to link her up with a mother-in-law that brought her to faith. And uh, she becomes the icon of loyalty to to her mother-in-law, to her new husband, and to the Lord. And then secondly, King David had it all going for him, and he blew it on purpose. And he repented of his sins, and God forgave him. And he he is one of our saints in the church, and he is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. And it's his kingdom that the Lord fulfills. And then finally, King Josiah, who becomes an icon of true worship, uh, establishing again the faith among uh, the Jews, and uh, providing godly leadership from the day he took office until the day that he was killed defending uh, his people. God bless you. You have a marvelous Christmas. And uh, I just want to say it's awfully good to be a part of you. Amen.